Uh, Let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 9 and verse 30. Jesus here with the disciples. They're on the road. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know it. And he taught his disciples and he said to them, The Son of Man is betrayed, being betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was there in the house, he asked them, "Uh, What was it you disputed or argued among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. I would like to have heard that conversation. (laughs) And he sat down, and he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first... He shall be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him into his arms, pardon me, uh, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Uh, Now John answered him saying, teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us. They were casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow uh, after us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ. Assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. With that, let's pray. Uh, Father, as I read, uh, Lord, those last few verses, just reminded of late, Lord, of uh, the intense persecution against your people around the world. Lord, uh, reading a story, even this morning, Lord, of a of a, uh, of a man who, Lord, was attacked and uh, had to pull an axe out of his head later. And, Lord, uh, you gave him mercy. You protected him. And, Lord, we, uh, we here don't know this kind of persecution. So we pray for our brothers and sisters, Lord, around the world, Lord, uh, in places where there's so much hatred, Lord, uh, You're the God of love, and Lord, may your people, Lord, uh, not respond in kind. So easy for us, Lord, to respond in kind to hatred and wickedness, but Lord, uh, you have changed our hearts. Lord, you you have done a work in us. Lord, we realize we can't operate like that. Lord, all that does is just replicate it and produce more of it, and so we thank you, Lord, for the blessed work of your spirit, Lord, in our lives, in the church. And Father, I pray as we come to this section of Scripture this morning, Lord, that you would encourage us, speak into our life. Lord, we're always learning something fresh about you. Lord, how you respond to so many different situations. Lord, uh, it would be easy for us, I think, 
to, uh, to get hard and rigid, Lord, uh, to become, Lord, um, even uh, about certain Bible truths, Lord, to become harsh. And uh, we find that, Lord, you, uh, you're able to handle every situation with such incredible grace, kindness, Lord. And we, uh, we so appreciate that and so respect that. And we need that in our lives, Lord. The, the church at large needs to be able to respond to situations, Lord, uh, uh, like you respond. Lord, we, we claim your name. We take your name as, as Christians. But help us, Lord, we pray, to, to live up to that name. Lord, to, uh, Lord, to particularly, Lord, uh, love those, Lord, that love you. Lord, even though, Father, they may be different than us. Well, we're thankful, Lord, that, uh, Lord, you uh, wonderfully, Lord, work within our hearts and, and, and change us where we need to change. So I thank you for those that are here this morning. Lord, uh, as we open the word, open our understanding. We pray and ask this, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, many years ago, there was a uh, song, <clears throat> uh, and it went something like this. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to become servant of all. And uh, it's just, I kind of queued it up yesterday on, on YouTube. And uh, it's just a great old song. Uh, we don't sing it very much, but it holds, again, a very important truth. Uh, because the fact is, there is something, I think, you know, within our human natures that we want to be great, or we want to we do something great. We, we want to make a difference. Uh, I think, in a sense, you know, many of us had that kind of a, that kind of a motivation, that kind of desire. Um, and, and Jesus here, he, you know, when he speaks about being great, he's not saying that's necessarily wrong, you know, in and of itself. But the issue is, how do we do that? You know, how do we go about you know, really succeeding in life? Uh, how do we go about doing some great thing? Uh, there is definitely a method, there's a process to it, and it's so different from the world. You know, I, I think it's a, a desire that, uh, you know, many people have in their life, and I think the way they translate that or the way they interpret that um, is, is not really a biblical kind of a, a meaning or understanding. And I think even, even though you and I, uh, we've committed life to Christ, that we have to, you know, we have it, We need an ongoing, you know, understanding and insight um, about really to ha- how to have a successful life, how to do, in a sense, uh, really great th- things that make an impact, you know, in the lives of others for the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, wanting to succeed, it can be a good thing, but it's important that we have a godly motive. You know, when you talk about the world, the method of, of, of the world to acquire, you know, greatness is so different, you know, than Jesus. It's so different than the church. And, uh, and sometimes, too, the church has fallen into that kind of same methodology. Uh, sometimes if you just study the history of the church, there's times when the church has become very political, very powerful, uh, putting down any kind of opposition, that kind of thing. And that's not really the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is so much, so different. But the, the, the way men oftentimes try to acquire you know, greatness or do great things, you know, sometimes you hear this expression. I've heard it a number of time, you know, times during movies um, that it's okay to do something evil to bring about something better. Uh, that doesn't, you know, when you, when, you know, that seems to ha- have a certain amount of logic to it, but the fact of the matter is when something evil is done, something wicked is done, it just exacerbates and it just, you know, um, it just, you know, c- you know we, we find that replicating itself over and over again. 
And again, men acquire greatness in this kind of way. They use lies, they lose, use intrigue, uh, manipulation, murder, things of that particular nature in order to you know, get to that position and place of maybe power where when they get in power, they, can th they think they're going to do something good. But how many times um, when we've seen over the course of history, you know, men in powerful positions, whether they're presidents or kings or prime ministers um, or emperors, whatever the case may be, uh, that if they weren't being led by the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ, what they did was very devastating and, 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 and hurtful to many different people. But in the scriptures we find here, Jesus is giving his here this morning, if you will, that method, that formula. I don't like to use that word because it's not so much a formula, but in a sense it really is. It's a method on how uh, God's people are to attain to that place of, of greatness, if you will, our success, you know, in our life and our ministry. But on the way to, to experience that, we find that our natures, in a sense, are adverse to that. Um, and we see the perfect example of that being played out in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We see he was a perfect example of the one who would, you know, would be great, but not for the motivation of finding personal greatness, you know, for himself, but for the glory of God. And, uh, and as we realize, you know, we're, we're adverse to this, it's not an easy thing to acquire, but I'll tell you what, uh, when God calls us to do impossible things, but I'll tell you what, they're very worthwhile. I think sometimes people give up, uh, Christians. We give up because we look at the, diffi the difficulty. You know, I'll tell you what, uh, I have, uh, I committed my life to Christ when I was 25 years old. And uh, I realized that my life would have been so vastly different because I was striving for a lot of different things. But I've come to realize that committing my life to Christ was the very best thing that I could have ever done. Uh, it's changed my life. It's changed the direction of my life. Um, the trajectory of my life would have been so different. Um, my wife and I, uh, we had our first son. We moved to Rochester in 1974. And Rochester was a stopover for us. Uh, we had some relatives here, so we stopped for a while. I got a job, but something wonderful happened. God interrupted our lives. Uh, we got saved. I was actually, we were heading to, Cal, uh, to uh, Colorado. I had, some other, I had some other family in Colorado Springs. We were going to go out there, going to build a cabin in the Rocky Mountains and just, you know, just live that kind of life, uh, that outdoor kind of life. Uh, that really appealed to me and both of us at the time. And you can remember back in the 70s, everybody was like kind of getting back to nature type of thing. And that was our idea of getting back to nature. Um, but, you know, the Lord stepped into our lives. He interrupted our lives. He changed our lives dramatically and wonderfully. Uh, and my life would have been so vastly different if, if it were not for the Lord's intervention and interruption. But I've discovered this also. Not only is there an initial interruption in our life, but there's that ongoing intervention. Uh, we may have our plans and our, you know, our purposes and the things that we want to do. But I've come to, learn out, come to learn so many times that those plans could be the plans of mice and men. God's plan is always the best plan. And, and he knows exactly, you know, where you fit in. Uh, he's created your personality, you know, your unique creation of God. And he has got a place for each and every one of us. And you can't find that. You can't experience that and really get into that slot, so to speak, until Jesus Christ is leading you and guiding you and directing you. Even, you know, even for us as Christians, even then it's a challenge because we have, we've got our own, you know, we've got our own ideas. 
We've got our self-will. You know, we've got our pride. We've got all those things oftentimes that, you know, that, um, that, that just interrupt the plan and the purpose of God. And sometimes, too, I've seen this. Sometimes we can go off um, and, and years, uh, we can spend years of our life just going, going off in our own direction. And then finally at some point in the future, it could be a decade, could be two or even three, and then we finally... Uh, submit ourselves, you know, to the plan and the purpose of God, and we realize sometimes it's unfortunate, but the fact is, I've talked to many people, and sometimes, you know, honestly will admit, yeah, I wasted a number of years of my life, and you know, the fact of the matter is, to follow Christ, to follow His purposes, plan, and it's not always, you know, neon lights. It's not always what our expectation, our desire wants it to be. But I want to tell you what: it's the safest. It's the best plan. It's the shortest shortcut to fulfillment and satisfaction in your life when you commit your life to following and seeking after him. Now, we come to verses 30 through 32. Uh, and what Christ is telling them there, as we've, we've seen a number of times, is this recurring prophetic theme. Uh, he's speaking about the cross. He's speaking about uh, his time of suffering. Uh, and again, that was a bummer for them. That was a real downer for them because they were on a roll of success. They didn't want to hear that. Um, they didn't understand it. They thought maybe uh, something, you know, as we saw back there uh, a couple chapters ago, Peter taking Jesus aside, rebuking him, you know, for speaking about the cross. And then the Lord had to straighten Peter out for that. But here he's been this recurring theme. And that's the thing also, too, about prophecy. Uh, a lot of times, there even even you know we know the world rejects prophecy. There's no doubt about that. But even Christians sometimes have a struggle with prophecy uh, because it doesn't seem relevant, uh, and it seems like it kind of it may interrupt you know their life in some kind of way. I remember speaking many years ago, counseling a young couple who were getting married, and uh, and we start, you know somehow we got on the subject of the rapture, and uh, and I remember this couple saying, well. You know, yeah, we believe in that, but we hope it doesn't come right now because we want to live our life out. You know, we want, you know, we got our plans, we got our purposes. And whether you get married or not, uh, there's always seems to be something when it comes to the will of God that intersects and intervenes and interrupts, you know, God's plan for our life. And that's why I think a lot of people struggle with the whole idea. And again, there's, all, there's movements out there um, that uh, don't believe in prophecy at all. Uh, they believe uh, that we're, you know, in the book of, you know, we're way in the middle of the book of, or toward the end of the book of Revelation. We're in the millennial reign, that kind of thing, all crazy kind of ideas. And there's trouble, you know, when you, when you don't believe in prophecy. Because there's, uh, somebody said that, uh, uh, you know, something like almost two-thirds of the Bible are prophecy. You know, God's speaking about future events and things that he wants, you know, that are going to happen. And I think that when we ignore that, um, it brings uh, it brings trouble to our spiritual life. Uh, that's why I think uh, you know the the Bible says that prophecy will keep you pure because you'll be waiting for the Lord to come. You'll be ready when He comes. Uh, I think we're all going to be surprised a little bit, okay? But also too, we can still have that sense of the imminent return of our Lord and Jesus Christ. Because if you don't have that, I'm going to tell you what you're going to backslide. You're going to backslide because you're not going to you don't believe He's coming. Okay, and uh, you're going to get caught up. You're going to get caught up into the world and certain practices and things uh, that uh, at one point you're going to have to repent of or you're going to be ashamed of. And so prophecy will protect us, and it's very important that we have it as a part, you know, of our theology. And it's practical. 
prophecy is practical. It was practical for them because Jesus is telling them what's going to happen roughly in the next year. They blew it off. And we know from the, we know from the story of the Gospels, they really weren't ready. Uh, when, when that difficult day came, they all basically, you know, they, they fled, they ran. Uh, even Peter, you know, the chief apostle there, uh, denying the Lord, you know, three times. So they really weren't ready um, and, and didn't believe what he was saying because it was just something difficult. It was hard. You know, we hear about, you know, the end of the world. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I was thinking, you know, this, uh, this coronavirus um, I, I don't think we're at the end of the world. I don't think we're in the, you know, uh, in, the, in the day of the Lord yet. We're not there. But I think these things are previews. I, I think these are little precursors. I think they're little foreviews of what's going to take place at that particular time. Because one of the things, you know, Jesus says, one of the things that the, the book of Revelation tells us, there are going to be tremendous plagues um, that, that are going to sweep across the face of the earth, you know, you know taking hundreds of millions of people. And even what we see today, uh, you know, uh, little things happen, uh, and they remind us, you know, what's going to happen, you know, in the future. That's why, um, uh, you know, I think prophecy is important. You know, even when we talk about things like the coronavirus, we can say, hey, well, you know, the Bible speaks about plagues that are going to come at the end time. Um, you know, when I got saved in the 70s, and many of you, uh, some of you here were, were saved during that same time period, uh, it was sort of a rebirth of prophecy, if you remember. Um, the late great planet Earth and other prophetic writings. They weren't totally accurate. Those books weren't totally accurate, but at the same time, too, they were making people aware um, that the Bible spoke about things that were going to take place, you know, at the end time. And so prophecy is one of those kinds of things. That's why, again, read the Bible. Know what's in the Bible. Um, and, and, and don't... <laughs> it's interesting because sometimes we can try to interpret, you know, the Bible in light of current events. And I think there's a, that's dangerous. Uh, we need, need to interpret in current events in the light of the Bible. In other words, the Bible needs to be our grid. And if you don't have a Bible basis, if you don't study the Bible, uh, you know, some false prophet, some goofball can come along, uh, some, you know, some goofy movement, and they're out there. They're out there. It's amazing how so many of them are out there, and they're online. They're, you know, uh, on YouTube and that sort of thing. And, and uh, can, can we just, Daniel, can we just mute the microphone for a minute? Thank you. All right. 
Because <laughs> these things go out on the air. These things go out on the air. And I personally don't want to, I said that, I, I had the mic turned off because I don't want to offend that person. I'm praying for them. I'm praying that the Lord would work in that young man and get hold of him and free him from whatever level, degree of deception uh, that he has. Now, we're coming to verse 33 and verse 34. Did you ever notice that off-the-cuff conversations can be very revealing? Why is that? Because the mouth will speak out of what's in the heart, okay? Um, eventually, you're going to find out where somebody is uh, by the degree of their conversation, by the tenor of their conversation, what they say. And so here they've been discussing, uh, you know, this, this whole matter here, you know, in, in verse 32 and verse 33, they've been discussing this matter, who is the greatest? And I kind of, you know, one of the things that probably prompted this is, uh, remember, uh, a week or two ago, we were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, uh, Peter, James, and John, Elijah, and Moses. What a great experience it must have been. And so, uh, remember, Jesus, after this event, this incredibly um, supernatural thing that took place, he tells Peter, James, and John, don't share this with anybody. And you ever tell somebody to keep a secret? It's like, forget it, okay? They are not going to keep a secret. It's like it's the worst thing to tell somebody. If you, don't, you, know, if you, tell them to, you, don't, if you say nothing, they probably won't mention it to anybody. But if you say, please, this is, this is classified. Don't share this with anybody. So Jesus says that with them. And so they come down. Remember, they came down uh, from the mountain last week, and the disciples were down there. And you can imagine the first thing that the other disciples say to, Jesus, to, to, to Peter, James, and John. Hey, guys, hey, what took place? Hey, what took place on the mountain? Tell us about it. And you can imagine, you know, Peter, James, and I, well, <laughs> you guys are not ready for that yet. Um, you know, maybe later when you get a little more mature, but we're not allowed to tell you that. And that must have tormented them. That must have been a real difficult thing. And, and it was probably the precursor that started this debate or this discussion about who was the greatest. Because remember, uh, at one point, Jesus commissioned them uh, to go out to heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, cast out demons, you know, all that sort of thing. So they obviously, there was a, just that very short uh, term, uh, little dispensation where the anointing of God came upon them to go out there and, and to kind of do that. And so they probably had these experiences. They probably remembered, yeah, man, what an incredible thing. Just like if you ever prayed for somebody and, man, God just touched them in a very unique way and just like, wow, Lord, you let me be a part of that. It's a great privilege, a great honor. But again, these guys are, you know, you, you ladies probably never do this, okay? But we guys, we do this. We do this all the time. Like there's, like you, you, you somebody shares a testimony in a circle of guys, and it's like, it's like there's this one-upsmanship. As soon as that story comes out, man, I got a juicier one. I got a juicier one. I'm going to tell you. And before you know it, man, you go around, and it's just like, you know, <laughs> it can It can really get... It can really get uh, yucky uh, kind of a thing. And, and there's this, this, this competitive thing with us. There's this ego, ego thing that oftentimes that we have um, because, you know, we, you know, we feel like we got a better story than somebody else. Or, or in a sense, we're, you know, 
in one sense, we're, we're always trying to, I think, better ourselves. I remember before I was a Christian, I tried to better myself. And sometimes in that all, there's this you know, idea, I'm actually, I am better this, than this person. And one thing I've always said to us, we're not better than anybody, but I'll tell you, because of Jesus, we're better off, amen? We are better off because of what the Lord has done you know, in our life and in our you know, particular situation. So Jesus says in thir- uh, 33, uh, what was it, <clears throat> or was it you that dis- disputed among yourselves on the road? Uh, I imagine there was a heated conversation, and he knew what they were, they were arguing about. You know, he always knew, uh, and so he, you know, remember the questions of God. Uh, that's why you know when you're in discussion with people, and don't be afraid to ask them questions about what they think about this, that, and the other thing. Because uh, what I find from the very Genesis all the way through the Bible, God's always asking these questions. He's always asking these questions. Um, and, 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 and sometimes, too, even when you, if you ever just said something um, and you realize once you say it, you've been thinking it, you've been agreeing with it and believing it maybe, but once you say it and get it out there, all of a sudden it realizes, well, it doesn't, that seems wrong. You ever done that? I've done that, where you just got to get an idea out there, you get a concept out there, and it's like, you know, and you get it out there, and everybody goes, looks at you like this, you know, you really believe that, you know, kind of a thing, and sometimes we need that, you know, we need that kind of accountability, you know, with one another, that's one of the important things that fellowship provides for us, uh, iron sharpens iron, the Bible says, um, and, and we need that, that contact and that, that interface with one another, uh, in a sense, to... Um, to check us, you know, regarding those particular issues. But when Jesus says that, mum's the word, uh, they're going to be quiet. You ever remember being a kid and your parents come in, you're having this conversation with your brothers or sisters or your friends, and all of a sudden mom or dad shows up and they say, what are you saying? It's like, you don't want to say anything because you don't want them to know exactly what you were talking about. And I think that's the case here with Jesus. Uh, you know, as the, with the disciples, as they say, you know, well, we don't want to talk about that, you know, at least to him. We know what he's going to say, you know, kind of a thing. They kept silent, we're told, but they disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. I, I love the Bible because it exposes the, the characters of the Bible. That's why we know it's a God thing. That's why we know men didn't write the Bible. Yes, they penned it out. They were the scribes, but they didn't write it from their own selfish motivations because the Bible exposes you know, the character of mankind, what we're like. Even the greatest characters in the Bible, when you look at them under the spotlight of God's truth, man, they, uh, they you know, God reveals all the warts, all the issues. And I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that because I grew up in a religious tradition where the saints were put on a pedestal. And I, you know, I, I would, you know, we were told to be like the saints and pray with the, to the saints and all that kind of thing. But those guys were, they might have been real believers, okay? The, the, you know, the saints, you know, that are called saints, and that, they may have been real believers. I can't contest that. I don't know that. But I knew one thing, that I couldn't relate to them. It wasn't in my nature. It wasn't my, it wasn't my desire to even begin to relate to them. But one thing I love about the Bible is you look at the guys, you know, the guys and gals in the Bible, the Bible reveals all their flaws, but in a gracious way, because God wants us to be able to relate. If, I, if we looked at the Bible like I used to look at the saints, we would just close it up and say, forget it. 
I can, I, you know, because I was, you know, we were, I was basically told, well, you need to be perfect like those guys. And I knew how imperfect I was. But I love the scriptures. It exposes, it, it, it reveals, it manifests the true nature of man. Because we need him. And really without him, what can we accomplish? What can we really do you know, without the Lord in our lives? And so we see these things, basically, just in case we thought that apostles didn't have uh, ego problems, that, that God just found. He just happened to find 12 people that were perfect on the earth. And when you read the story, you realize, wow, he didn't pick the, pick the cream of the crop at all. Uh, he probably picked, if anything, what you know, everybody else would say, we're a bunch of losers. And, it's not, and, it, and basically, it's not how good we can be. It's what God can take the raw material of our life. He can take the raw material of our life when we commit it to him. And, and the world can write you off, and so often does. But I think, I think that there is simply a greatness that comes into each one of our lives when Christ comes in. Because he is the great one. And the standard of our life changes. The direction of our life changes. The whole mentality and mindset of our life changes. Because the great one has come into our life. And he works within our lives to change and give us those desires that line up with his purpose, line up with his will. So they're disputing in verse 34 who's going to be the greatest. You know this competitive drive to be first or to be top dog? It just basically comes from pride, you know, pride and selfishness in the human heart. Uh, you, ever, you ever watch me? I, I, I so often notice, like, I've done a lot of travel at the airports, and as soon as they, did, as soon as they announce there's a line, you've got all these people milling around. And all of a sudden, they announce the line starts over here. If you don't watch out, you will, you will get trampled by the stampede. Because there's just this thing within the human nature. I want to be first. And we know what that's like. Like we've never had that desire. <laughs> we, we know exactly what that's like. And sometimes I see how people, even Christians, how people handle the winning or losing of their pro team. Oh, man. Sometimes I've seen just like, sometimes the contention, even between believers, you know, when it comes to, you know, my team, and when my team, you know, my team wins, you know, or my team loses the big game, whatever the case may be. And uh, you ever see the, uh, some of the clips of uh, fights among parents uh, as they're spectating a sport of their child? You know, there was, there was one a couple weeks ago. There were a couple boys were, you know, high schoolers were wrestling on the mat, and and, um, and I guess the, the one guy slammed the other guy. And this guy, this, guy, this one boy who got slammed, his father comes flying in and starts hammering, you know, on the, on the other wrestler. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? And it happens. Sometimes the bleachers empty out, you know, in, in, in Little League games and, and different sports events where the parents are, you know, their, their ego is so wrapped up. And their child being first. It's not even them per se, but it's just, again, their alter ego in their children. That's how competitive this old flesh and this old nature is. 
And there's only one answer to it, and that is Jesus. Because we can't help being ourselves, amen? And that's why Paul uses terms like, hey, we need to mortify. We need to put off the old self, the old nature. Uh, we, we need to, you know, there's certain things in us. Until the day we die, there's going to be certain desires, certain drives that need to go to the cross. Billy Graham used to say, hey, hey take that attitude and nail it to the cross. <laughs> Another term that Paul uses, put it to death. There's certain things. And you know, that's not easy, is it? It's not easy to offer it, keep offering it up. You know, some... some attitude, some area of your life, some, some, some area of our lives that's very strong, very intense, to, to keep giving it to Him. And, you know, if you walk with the Lord for any length of time, you'll have noticed how He has changed you over the course of time. You know, you, you, you submit to Him, you surrender to Him. You're not perfect overnight. It's not, it's not always dealt with overnight. So don't be discouraged. But again, faith keeps confessing it, keeps giving it over to him and turning it over to him, whatever that issue is. And I've walked with the Lord 45 years this year. And I, you know, when I first came to Christ, when I thought, if I would have thought about me being 45 years old in Christ, I would think, surely I've arrived when I got to that point, you know. The old sin nature is gone. It's done. It's dealt with. I'm going to be walking around with a halo on my head at 45 years old in Jesus. I wish. I wish. That old man, he's sneaky. <laughs> he's sneaky. Keeps, keeps coming back. I remember many years ago, uh, Pastor Joe Foch was talking about the old nature. And it's kind of like he comes, uh, you know, when Christ comes into your life, it's like, he gets, you put him down in a manhole and put the cover on him, okay? You, you, he's under the manhole, you know, the manhole cover, and he keeps peeking up under the manhole. Can I get out? Can I get out for a while? Please, I'll behave myself if I can come out. And it's that thing that kind of go, we go back and forth, you know, within our, you know, within our thinking. But, you know, when you let him out, you know what he does. He's a troublemaker. He's a sinner, And then you put it, get back in that hole. <laughs> kind of put some weight on that lid, keep him down there. And then he sneaks out the sewer. Always, always something. Now, in verse 35, the, the principle that he gives us here in this verse uh, is just a reminder the things that Jesus calls us to, they're of another world. That, that's why we're told that he gives us a what divine and eternal perspective. And his, the realm, you know, that he calls us to, it operates so different than the way this world works down here. Uh, I remember seeing this, uh, somebody, some Christian had this on the back of their window. I, I remember asking, I said, where'd you get that? Um, and it was a big, long decal, a big, long white decal that you put on the back of your window or maybe the back of your car, your truck or something. It like a big, long one. It says, not of this world. I said, yeah, I like that, because we're not. You know, that, that, that's why, you know, when you come to Christ, you know you're different. You, you know something wonderful has taken place in your life. 
And the realm, you know, the, the Christian world, the Christian life, the spiritual life, it operates so vastly different than this one down here. God calls us to be different. And he gives us the wherewithal. He gives us the enabling, the empowering. And when you look at this world, really, you know, the world looks at us. At, do you ever sometimes have a, try to have a spiritual conversation with somebody? And it kind of reminds me, like, when I used to talk to my dog. When I used to talk to my dog, Every, you ever your pet, you love your pet, and you talk to him, and he's going like this. <laughs> I mean, some dogs are really smart, okay? You know, you, you can train your dog to, you know, certain words, you know, mean certain things. But I can remember, you know, we used to have boxers. We had a number of boxers, and I uh, always loved those dogs. And, uh, and they just sit there, you know, right there. You know, you're sitting there in your, your living room chair, and you're talking to your dog, and, and, uh, and he's just like, you know, and I think I get that same thing sometimes from unbelievers. Not that they're dogs, okay? They're, I'm not saying they're dogs. But I get that sort of thing like, you know, ooh, they're not getting it. Because why? You're talking another language. You're talking another language to them. And they just simply don't understand it. And only if the Lord will give them, you know, understanding. But, you know, this world is basically upside down. That's why it's going to radically change when Christ comes back. Radically, radically change. We were, we were talking about that uh, Wednesday night. To love not the world nor the things of the world because the world operates by different principles. Now, he, when it says love not the world, he's not talking about nature, okay? Man, th this world is in many respects is beautiful. And when Jesus Christ comes back, it's going to be awesomely beautiful. But he's talking about the ways of the world, the way the world operates, you know, the greed, the avarice, you know, the violence, the hatred. That's the things that so often motivate and move people. And we're not to be controlled by that kind of thing. You know, you know sometimes people do things. You know, look, look what happens in our world with, with violence. It's so often replicated and reproduces itself because, you know, somebody does some violence thing to somebody, then they respond in kind. And don't we have that within our nature? And I'm not even talking about something violent. But when somebody says something to you negative, you just want to respond in kind. You know, they say something about you. And, uh, you know, it can be very quick, very quick to respond and put them in their place. And we, 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 that's just part of our humanity, part of our human nature. But, you know, Jesus Christ, he's called us to something higher, something different, so, something much, you know, much better, in a sense, really, he's called us to a supernatural, you know, kind of a mindset. That's why Paul says we can have, we can think like Christ, we can have the mind of Christ. You know, when you think about um, greatness, you know what it comes from? Descending downward. That's what he says there. Look what he says in verse 35. If anyone desires to be first, and we all desire that, let's be honest about it, okay? Yeah, I like to be first. I hate going to Delta Sonic and getting in the back of the line. I like going there when there's no cars there. I want to be first. But he shall be last of all and servant of all. And again, it's, it's quite natural to this sort of jockey, you know, for position. But again, the way up is the way down. I think the greatest example of that was Jesus. To lay his life down. You know, 
when we think of the gospel and what Christ did for us, you know, I'll be honest with you, I think we all, including myself, I think there's a lot of things we just, you know, we accept and take it for granted. But I was thinking about, I'm going to be seven years old in a couple weeks. And uh, I was thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ offering up his life at 33 years old. And you remember, if you're 30 or past that, and I feel like at this point in my life, I feel like I'm just picking up speed, okay? I feel like I'm just getting in a groove. I feel like I'm just, you know, like, hey. And I think in a sense, you know, your age, whatever age you are, um, there's an eternal youthfulness about your life because of Christ. You know, you're going to live for trillions of years. Your spirit, you know, youthfulness. I've seen some people at 20 years old are old and decrepit in their thinking, in their mindset. But God's spirit is an eternal, youthful spirit. You're going to be a trillion years old someday, and you're not going to be old. Think of a per- we think of a person 100 years old, centurion. What is that what they're called, centurion? He's 100 years old. Like, wow, he's really old. Hey, in the late of eternity, he's a pup. And I was thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ because at this point in my life, I don't want to die. I, I want to enjoy the rest of my life. How, however long that is, I don't know. But he gave his life up at 30 years old. Would you be willing to die for somebody? That's a selective thing, isn't it? Yeah, there's some people, no, I don't want to die for them. Are you kidding me? And, and there may be this, this, this really small group of people, you know, in, in my, my family circle that I might think I might want to die for if I had to. But the love of God love of God, that he was laid down his life for you and for me. To offer himself for us. You know, like Paul said, esteeming others. We, that, that's foreign to us. That stuff is foreign to us. That's of the Holy Spirit. It's of another nature. It's of another kingdom, another realm. And you know, but he's moving us into that kind of thinking, that kind of way even if it's inch by inch. I mean, I don't know how long you've known the Lord, but think about how you have changed. Maybe five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. How your thinking has changed. How it's become more eternal. Where you, where you see things so differently. You see things differently economically, politically, spiritually, socially. You see things so different. As God has worked within our, and a lot of times we don't, you know, we just think, wow, it's just getting old, the experience of life. Well, maybe to a degree, but it's, it's, but it's because through the lens of our knowing him and what he has done within our life. And that's why, you know what, we're going to go into eternity someday, folks, and eternity will, this life sometimes gets boring. We go into eternity, it will never be boring. Not one moment in eternity will ever be boring. You're looking at me like, I don't know if you believe me. 
Well, you can remind me of that when we get into eternity. Hey, Pastor Ray, remember you said that? <laughs> As you're smiling and having a great time. Now, he drives home the point in verse 36. We've got to move on here. Um, and in kind of a spontaneous way, he just grabs this little child to make his point. He took a little child, set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, would you ever aspire to be a little child? I, I remember growing up as a kid, and in, in my generation, when you were a kid, you didn't exist in conversations, okay? Um, it, there was a saying. Children should be seen and not heard. Anybody remember that one? Remember that one? And I can remember, you know, my parents, you know, having get-togethers and parties. I could just walk in there. Nobody ever even noticed me, you know. And uh, you know, nobody would aspire to be a little child. Nobody would ever do that. And, you know, uh, you know, when you think about Jesus, you know, bringing this child and saying, you know, here, here's, in a sense, um, what you need to become. Not childish. But, but childlike. You know, when you think about a child, what are, you know, what are some of the, the uh, interesting things, some of the attributes of children, some of their qualities? Well, first of all, there's a, one thing I love about kids is their transparency. It, you, know, you ever notice it's hard for kids to be deceptive? I mean, I know they can be stinkers. They can be, they can be rascals. They can be all those things. But you know, there's also a transparency. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of, you know, hard for a kid you know, deceive, to deceive, you know, he's like, uh, he's caught with something, and he goes, he sees, he's caught with it, what do you got in your hand? <laughs> you know, he puts it behind, like, it's very, it, it's, you know, there's something beautiful, you know, about children, there's an openness there, there's a humility with children, one thing I love about kids, you know, like, if, if somebody offends us, you know, we go to our room and cry, okay, it's like, we don't want to see anybody, you know, we don't want anybody to see us crying, you know, you got to be tough. Uh, but kids, you know, they get hurt. <laughs> you know, they're bawling right in front. They don't care. They cry in front of everybody. They'll, they'll cry. And um, I, I, remember, I still remember first grade in Catholic school. Because back then, you didn't have kindergarten. And I remember first grade in Catholic school. Everybody was crying. And I don't know what it was. Maybe I was just, I'm not going to cry. You know? What are they doing? <laughs> you know, I, I remember just looking around at all these kids bawling and crying. And I don't know if it was like the tough guy thing or whatever, but I just, I, you know, they're not going to see me cry. Uh, that, that's not going to happen. But with kids, there's a simplicity. There, there's a beautiful honesty. And I think, I think those things, you know, Jesus wants to see that kind of, you know, transparency and honesty. And I'm not talking about wearing your, your, your heart on your shirt sleeve. Um, but again, just this an openness. Uh, that's, I think, one of the benefits of, of fellowship and getting to know one another, being transparent, you know, with one another and, uh, and sharing and encouraging, mutually encouraging one another as we're, as we're, you know, as we need prayer, as we're working through, you know, different, different things. You know, some, you know if the thing is, if, if, like when you think about, I, I grew up with an alcoholic uh, family, and, and I can remember because as a kid, my parents would take me to a bar with them because they didn't have a babysitter. And, and I would, they would give me a 7-Up drink, and, and I'd play the shuffleboard. And, uh, and I can remember, because I was around a lot of drinking, just a lot of drinking. And all of a sudden, when, when the, the booze starts flowing, all of a sudden there's this camaraderie. 
and everybody's talking and everything's coming out, you know, kind of a thing. You know, when people are drinking, that, that, that sort of thing. Because uh, it's only when, you know, a few drinks get in there, the inhibitions kind of, you know, go away and all of a sudden, uh, you know. And I think that is simply a counterfeit. That's a counterfeit for what God has designed for us to have in fellowship. This is what church is to be. Because we're just, you know, we're a bunch of sinners saved by grace. And we need one another, you know. Um, there's this individualism that we see out there in our culture. And it's part of a, more of the old nature where we tend to isolate. And, you know, we're going to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. You know, we're going to do it all, you know, all alone. And the fact is, um, God's called us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And for you and I, for the church, it's to be a part of the body of Christ and to, um, to allow him to work, you know, in and through us. Uh, now, let's look at these last few verses. We've got to close this up. I, I realize we're moving slow here. Uh, verses 38 through 41. I think John's remark here is prompted uh, by the in-your-name statement of Jesus. Because Jesus, excuse me, John sees something that he deems to be different and strange. And that is somebody coming along and casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And John looks at that, and uh, Jesus, you've been saying uh, in your name. You've said it four different times here. What about this guy? Doesn't follow us, but he's doing it in your name. John answered and said, teacher, we saw someone, and it's an objection. But it's because of what Jesus said in your name. So this guy's saying, casting out demons in the name of Jesus. We forbade him because he does not follow us. Now, the danger, I think, here is that they're being overly sectarian, okay? Are the denominations, they're all different. I think God has allowed for there to be different denominations. And they're all different. You know, they have different, different focus. And I'm talking about those from a biblical perspective. I'm not talking about false teachers, false churches, false professing believers. But I'm talking about those who really profess the name of Christ. There's many different groups out there. I was even talking to somebody um, on, our, on their way out because they had a question, you know, relative to what we looked at this morning here. And one of the things that I was telling her was I believe that the Lord even has allowed these cults to formulate because he keeps them quarantined or else they'd be in the church creating trouble, um, you know, doctrinal, you know, all kinds of doctrinal oddities and false teaching and all that. So I'm thankful for the cults because they stay over there. They're, they kind of stay in their corner and uh, they stay out of the church. They, they, God keeps them, in, you know, in a safe place. But I think there's a danger sometimes, um, you know, that we as God's people can be overly sectarian 
in how we view other people? You know, there's no doubt about it. There are uh, good groups where the, where the Bible is being taught and people are being encouraged. But you know something? They may teach the Bible differently. They may worship differently. That's why I've said this, and I tell this to people. that we, A lot of people come through and say, hey, we're looking for a church. And I don't try to recruit people. You know that. I, I didn't come to your house to try to recruit you. Uh, that's a decision that you made to come to this church because there's something that you felt right. And, and here's what I try to tell folks. I try to tell folks, first of all, go to a church where you are getting fed the Word of God. That's the, that's the number one priority. Go where they teach the Bible. And then secondly, go to a place where you feel you fit in. Where you just feel like, wow, it's a good fit. I've had people, I've had more than one people say when they've come to the church, you know, when I got here, it felt like I came home. And that has to happen. That, that's very important. That's the witness that the Holy Spirit gives each person that, hey, we're in the right place. But there are other churches, again, you can even go within the Calvary movement and you're going to find a slightly different personality. In the churches. It's not wrong. It's just, you know, a little different emphasis. And I think sometimes we have to be very careful. I may not agree, again, with something some other church is doing. May not agree, may not like the way they worship. Um, it could be, you know, just different. Um, but God bless them doesn't mean they're wrong. And that's why I think it's wrong sometimes for us to go around and try to squeeze people into our mold. I think we need to be gracious toward other people. And we're not talking about false teaching here, okay? We're talking about Christians, because that's, again, that's the emphasis that Jesus says they're in my name. Now, the other thing, too, I think is important. Um, well, let me say this. For Bible-based churches... One of the dangers can be that you become exclusive and elitist. And I've seen this sometimes with doctrinal positions, that our doctrinal position is better than yours. And, 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 and sometimes it fosters a proud, kind of elite kind of attitude that, hey, we're better than them. And, I, and I've seen, and I, I don't want to mention the, uh, the doctrinal uh, emphasis or the, the, the particular group, I don't want to mention them, and it's, it's not a denomination, but it's another theological, you know, uh, uh, position. Uh, that they're always debating. They're always arguing. They're always trying to convince people how right they are. And it really gets under my skin. It, it really bothers me. And, they, and, and some have even tried to go, go into other churches that don't agree with their particular doctrinal philosophy and try to win people to their doctrinal philosophy. And they may have some fine points, but then again, so does a porcupine. <laughs> now, also, too, this is not a tacit endorsement for the casting out of demons ministry, okay? You, you have to understand that. Jesus is not giving a tacit endorsement here, a secret endorsement. Because I'll tell you what, I don't, do you find that ministry in the Bible? Do you find the gift of casting out demons? I don't think so. 
And again, I take a lesson from Jesus and a lesson from Paul. When did Paul deal, have to deal with it? Remember the demon-possessed damsel that followed him for days? And she's saying, this man, you know, this man preaches the, the gospel of salvation. I mean, she's even, in a sense, saying the right thing. And Paul gets so frustrated one time, he turned around and he basically rebuked the spirit in the name of Jesus and called. And that's, as a matter of fact, I think it was in Philippi, and that's where uh, him and Silas ended up in the stocks because uh, out of frustration, he turned around and dealt with that demon-possessed situation. So this is not, understand, this is not a tacit, uh, you know, endorsement here, you know, for those, uh, because again, I've seen that kind of thing where people feel that they have, you know, a ministry of, of exorcism, and I do not see that um, in the Bible. So he says here, verse 39, do not forbid him for no one who works a miracle in my name, in my name, that's the, that's the point, shall soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. And whoever gives up gives you a cup of water to drink again in my name uh, because you belong to Christ. Assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now, in my name simply means this. In the spirit and nature of Jesus. So if ministry is being done, and I'll tell you what, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to know what is and what isn't, what is and is not in the, in, in the spirit of Jesus. You've got to discern it. He's going to show you. And again, I think also, too, be, you know, we're being tolerant of differences within Christianity. We're not talking about being tolerant of false prophets and false teachers. Okay? Because John will tell us at one point, don't even receive them into your house. Okay? But we're talking about the differences to be conciliatory, you know, to be gracious, uh, you're going to work, you're going to find yourself working with, with, with Christians of a different persuasion. Theologically, there's going to be some differences. Um, but you know what? We need to be gracious, amen? And that's what I think Jesus here, and I think, again, Jesus here um, is touching on some of the future differences within uh, biblical Christianity. So with that, gang, let's pray, Father, how we thank you. Lord, you're always... Lord, giving us fresh insight. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, continue to give us discernment against things that are wrong, things that we should not embrace or accept. But also, Lord, help us to be, to be gracious, to be kind. Lord, um, and when we are given the opportunity with perhaps a brother or sister, from another group, another persuasion, Lord, to, um, to, if we have the opportunity, to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. So we thank you, Lord, and uh, we pray you go with us this week. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.